Silent Assassin, Matt Costa, and Stephanie Burke, our psychic medium friend who is already feeling the wrath of the plants in the room. I am. It's so bad. And uh, we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. No science advisor, Matt Moniz tonight. He is actually, uh, he is hosting. On a spaceship? Uh, he's hosting <laughs> a bunch of. People who were on spaceships. Oh, was that tonight? Yes, this is his annual. Uh, let's let's all camp out on Moni's Island and have the UFOs come and take us away. And not my thing. That's why Matt's not going to be in any hurry to get home tonight. Yeah, I don't blame so, him. He's a uh, just just to clarify, they don't live together. <laughs> whoops! I just played the spooky South Coast music over the Red Sox game. Whoops! whoops. Just a little bit. Whoops! Uh, so. For those of you who are uh, just tuning into the show now, the, we got a little bit of a late start. See, what happens is the Red Sox are running over the radio station, and the Red Sox have control of the board. So in order for us to come on live and you know, for us to be able to run our theme song, it runs on the same pot as the commercials for the Red Sox game. So if the Red Sox go to commercial break right as we're ready to start, or if they're anywhere near a commercial break, we can't start until that happens because we can't supersede that pot being able to run the commercials for the Red Sox game. Right. So it's it's. I know that everybody looks at this and says, "Oh, it's uh, it's internet only tonight because the Red Sox are on, so they should be able to start right on time." No, we actually sometimes have to start later mm-hmm. when we're online only, just because of that. So that's the reason why sometimes it seems like, you know, maybe one week we go on exactly at ten o'clock, the next week we go on exactly at. You know, 10.06, like we would when there's a, a, a news broadcast on the radio before we go on. And then sometimes it takes a little bit longer, and that's why. Because we can't, we have to let everything that has to run, run properly, or else they'll tell us that we can't come in anymore during the Red Sox games. So we don't want to lose that ability because it only took us like 10 years mm-hmm. to be able to figure out how to do that. So Matt spent 10 years figuring that out. I remember the days of no show during the Red Sox. Right. Or, or sitting we here come here waiting. early. Yes, yes, yes. We used to wait to see if they would come off the air, and we had to run the show late. There's been some so. shows where we had really, really big guests lined up. Yes, I and remember that, too. they're sitting here, and eventually we just got to the point where we would say, listen, we're not even going to book any big guests. Mm-hmm. Like, we would only book people that we knew we could bump around. Like me. You, or <laughs> Balzano, yeah. or Belanger. Like, we would... You know, but there were some shows when we had like big time guests that were coming mm-hmm. on with us. We, we there was one show where Kristen Gartland was going to come in, like drive down from wherever she lives in, yep. in North Shore of Massachusetts or wherever she was living at the time. She was going to drive down and come and be our guest. I'm so glad she didn't because we ended up having her just calling over the phone. By the time we got to her, there was 15 minutes left yep. for the show, and in those days we couldn't go past midnight. Right. So now we. We can kind of fudge things around a little bit if we need to. 
We just prefer not to if we can help it because if we stay past midnight, then all kinds of things get screwed up in the automation for right. overnight and into tomorrow. So that's just a little bit of uh, inside baseball for those of you who aren't familiar with how the the show runs. So that's why it seems like, you know, you, you think we're in here goofing around and, you know, not, not getting to work, but we're just sitting here waiting. That's what we have to do. So uh, we do have a full show planned for you tonight. We're going to have some open lines tonight, which I think will be fun. It's always interesting when that happens. Well, see, you weren't here, I don't think, for the last open line show that we did when we actually got phone calls. Oh, it happened? Because for years <laughs> we would say, all right, we're going to do open lines, and we wouldn't get any calls. But thanks to all of our friend at, friends at LGAB, you know, we got some phone calls, and they were, they were you know, legitimate, mm-hmm. interesting phone calls and questions. And so we'll have the phone lines open again tonight for more of that. And we'll also have uh, coming up an interview that Stephanie and I recorded yesterday with James Van Prague who is coming to the area on Friday night. He'll be in Woonsocket at the Stadium Theater. Stephanie, I know you're going to be there to, to check that out. I will uh, be there. So have, if you're coming, say hi, for have, sure. Have you been to the Stadium Theater before? I have not been to the Stadium okay, Theater. Okay, so it's... I'm sure we have some listeners in Woonsocket, and I don't want to insult anybody, but Woonsocket's kind of a dump. Mm, that's not an inaccurate statement. But uh, where the where the Stadium Theater is, there's there's some nightlife going on in that area. But it's also kind of a uh, it's it's, it's, a, it's a tough spot. Yeah. So try to get there early because if you don't get there early and get like a spot in the parking lot behind the theater, uh, th- I think there is a garage. But uh, otherwise, I think. Uh, All right. So note to self: get there super early. Yeah, I okay. would definitely try to get there early. You because got it. You don't want to be hanging around Woonsocket. Mm-hmm. Although, if you are there early and you're looking for something to do, uh, there's a great. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a great tavern. Like kind of right across the street from the stadium, a little, a little bit. It's not directly across the street. It's like you have to go just down the street a little bit and then behind another building. But uh, I used to go to Ciro's Tavern. Maybe that's it. In Woonsocket, that's actually it's haunted. It's super cool. I actually get yeah, to kind of like, check it out and investigate. It's it. like a, it's like a medieval type theme. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah there's so a room upstairs. Pretty that's sure that's like yeah. That. I think that's where that where we went. Mm-hmm. And uh, good food, good beer. Yeah. So if anybody else is going to the show, I, I recommend going there and checking that out. But uh, that will be Friday that he'll be coming to Woonsocket. So in order to preview that, we had him come on the show. Uh, he was unavailable to do tonight's show. Right. So we just recorded it yesterday. And sometimes we will do that if there's, you know, a conflict in schedule. or. But generally we like to have guests. But he's so worth it. Right. He is. And also, like, we knew he wasn't going to be taking calls anyway. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I mean, we appreciate when we can have him live. We've had him on live before, but then people are like, oh, I can call in and get a reading. We don't want to have him doing that. So uh, that's why we figured with the limited amount of time that we had him anyway, it just Mm -hmm. made sense to to pre-record it. So uh, we'll play that a little bit later on in the show for you. For those of you watching on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, actually the only way you're listening right now is by watching Spooky TV. Uh, But for those of you who are, uh, we have video of that interview so we will we will run that during that segment fingers crossed that it works that computer that matt is using for the streaming it uh, takes up a lot of power so he has to call scotty and see if he can get some more power to the to the dilithium crystals that run that computer and if that (laughs) works then uh well matt matt is just a genius so he'll figure it out but if not, by the time this goes out, like to the world, mm-hmm. he'll have fixed it. Oh, for sure. Matt's Matt's. Uh, we can't do what we do without Matt. 
I think on your headstone, Matt, when you die, it's going to say, "We'll fix it in post," because <laughs> yeah. that's kind of his that's kind of his go to phrase. Whenever anything goes wrong, he's just like, "Ah, we'll fix it in post." Yep. So uh, we will do that. Uh, also, we're going to be joined uh, momentarily by Sam Baltrusis, who's going to talk with us about the uh, upcoming Plymouth Paracon as well. So we'll find out some more details about that, and uh, we'll find out uh, exactly what's going down, because I know some things have changed. Uh, right. There's some different packages involved with it. So Sam will explain all of that to us coming up, uh, and you can join us for that. That's coming up in a couple of weeks, September 21st, 22nd, and 23rd in Plymouth, Massachusetts. But Stephanie, I know that you just made an announcement today about something that you have going on. I uh, did. Coming up, uh, what, at the beginning of October? Right? October 6th. I am super excited. I'm heading back down to Tennessee, and I will be in Castilian Springs at Historic Winwood, which was formerly known as the Castilian Springs Inn. So it's an awesome location. It's on the National Historic Landmark list. So other places that are on that specific list are places like Mount Vernon. Um, it's an amazing amazing location full of history um the visitors that were known to stay there were andrew jackson sam houston general john hunt morgan and jesse james the outlaw himself so i am super excited to get in there and and check out the history that's behind this place and there's so much more that we can't talk about until we get there because it's not public knowledge but there's even more history to it so i'm really excited to be able to to head down there it's never been investigated before so that's kind of a first and i wanted to get in there and just try to help um preserve the history because it's really different down south it's not like it is up here for us where we really you know take time to preserve our history we have places that are still standing from the 1600s there's a time down south where everything was kind of bulldozed and just built over so the the places that are still standing need help and and there aren't a lot of uh I don't want to. Eh. There's not a lot of folks that are stepping up in that area to right. put on events. Right. I know there are a few, but generally there's not somebody who is at. And and some of the ones that are putting on events, you know, to them it's kind of more of a money maker than it is right. about a preservation thing. So. Yep. So I um I actually I was already supposed to be down there for a different event uh to do with my other job. And I said, why not just put on an event while we're down there? But let's pick a place that really needs the attention and is super historic. You know probably better than anyone what a history nerd I am. So I love anything to do with history and you know old stories and everything like that. And um, I'm really excited to check this place out. So I'll be there with Porter from the Tennessee Wraith Chasers. And we'll be putting on that event. And our tickets are, our VIP tickets are, I think I have, we have eight left since a couple hours ago. My readings were sold out in 15 minutes. It was kind of crazy. Yeah, it's not going to be a huge event. It's very limited, it's so you want to yeah. jump on it if you're going to take part. Absolutely. So, And people can get tickets on your website. They, they can go to stephanieburke.eventbrite.com to get tickets. And uh, we can't wait. We're super excited to go. Can't, can't they just go to Steph, stephburke.com too and get them? That will link them to it too, yeah. Right, so. Well, actually, give me a second. No, not yet, because I haven't put it up on oh, Facebook. Oh, jeez. You gotta see. I'm the worst. I've been working all day, but I did get it out there, and the tickets are already halfway sold out. So just I did pick, something right. Because you want to give them the shortest email address that you can, uh, the shortest web address that you can. I work so. in marketing. I I preach this all the time, but that's that's the fastest way. StephanieBurke.eventbrite.com. 
And uh, who knows, by the time the show is over, all the tickets could be sold out and you won't even need to put it on the page. SethBurke.com will lead you to the Facebook page, which has the link right now, but not under the events section yet. I'm still working on that. All right. And speaking of events, we have uh, joining us on the line right now, Sam Baltrusis. He's the organizer of this year's Plymouth Paracon. And uh, good evening, Sam. Uh, Are you with us? Yes, I am, Sam. How's it going? Uh, Going very well. How are you? Doing well. So uh, we're excited that we're just a few weeks away from the entire paranormal world descending upon uh, one of my hometowns and America's hometown, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Absolutely. It's a hidden gem in New England, definitely. And so this is going to be uh, the kind of the continuation of what you started last year with the Provincetown Paracon, but it's also going to be taking things in a completely different direction because uh, this is you're dealing now with a history that, you know, Provincetown history, a lot of people didn't know going into it. Plymouth history, I think a lot of people are going to this event thinking they already know about Plymouth from learning about the pilgrims and all of that stuff in school, but there's a whole other side of Plymouth that people just don't know about. Yeah, we're going to be in the epicenter of that history. I mean, Town Square is where it's the hub of the haunted corridor, I call it, uh, in Plymouth. We're right next to Burial Hill. Uh, the John Carver Inn is allegedly haunted as well. So this is where the Pilgrims first had their settlement in the area that we're going to. And the, just the hotel that we're going to be in, you mentioned it being haunted. Uh, if I remember right, the story goes that there was a house there that there was uh, some medical students staying in the 1800s, and they would go up onto Burial Hill and rob the graves to have cadavers to practice on. They were bringing them down into that house that stood where the John Carver Inn is now. So we're dealing with some uh, probably some pretty angry spirits left over from all of that stuff. Yeah, actually, um, I'm, so I'm going tomorrow, but I've done an investigation already, kind of like a pre-investigation at the John Carver Inn. The room that, um, the haunted room is 309, supposedly. And we, we picked up crazy responses, uh, in, in regards to that. And, you know, also Burial Hill is probably one of the most haunted cemeteries in Massachusetts, second to Salem. So it's on the same level when it comes to hauntings to Salem. And not only that, but it's just to be there and to stand there uh, where so much history took place. I mean, that was the site of the Pilgrim's First Fort. Uh, That's where some of the pilgrims are actually buried. And you can stand there, and you're standing, uh, you know, in a spot that's seen every day of of America's history going back before there even was a country here. And so you can't help but feel that when you're up there. When When you're standing in the spot where they stood and seeing the sights that they saw and the way that they saw their world, it's, uh, it's pretty overwhelming. It really is. Like the, the Native American history alone, as someone that's, that's sensitive to the paranormal, you pick up on that immediately, and especially in Town Square. Uh, the, the Town Square, there's a marker where a King Philip uh, from King Philip, Philip's War, his head was put on a pike right in the middle of Town Square. So you can, you can feel that animosity or that tension from the Native Americans leading up to the pilgrims. And it, it, that head stood there for 20 years on that pike. Absolutely, and and when I went to that area, I just I literally I I couldn't breathe. It was so overwhelming, just feeling the energy that's still lingering there. And I know that uh, with this event, uh, there's a lot of different things that are going on. Uh, but uh, Stephanie and myself will be there as part of it, uh, along with the rest of the lineup. I'm uh, I'm fully ready for that entire weekend to kind of be a de facto tour guide for folks. Anybody that's coming from out of the area that's you know, looking for a place to eat, looking for a place to go shopping in some downtime or what have you, like, come and see me because, like I said, that's, I, I grew up in Plymouth. I went to elementary school in Plymouth and it's, uh, it's always been a big part of my life and I've always known that there's something 
weird about that town. I've always known there's something that uh, we just couldn't put our finger on growing up there. As the fact that you are not only standing where so much history took place, but you're standing in a place where so much just, oh, I... It's just, it's, it's an awesome place. It's a place. convergence of so many different energies there. It really is. And I, I'm super excited to get to go and investigate and spend time there. I've heard so many stories for so many years about the John Carver Inn and Burial Hill. And um, gosh, I think even dating back to the early years of Spooky South Coast, I remember hearing about it. But my personal uh, connection to Pl- Plymouth is my 10th great grandparents were John Alden and Priscilla Mullins. And they were the first pilgrims off the Mayflower. And they discovered Duxbury and so much of my history is right there. I wouldn't be here right now if they didn't come over. So it's uh, it's super and close to home for me. For so. like $500 a year or something like that, you too can join the Mayflower Society. I know. I haven't it's done ridiculous. that. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I'm i super excited to go and just be able to kind of connect and, and see what happens and see if we can draw in some of those energies too. And and Sam, you've got quite the lineup coming. Yeah, we do. And what what... My, the original idea for doing this was inspired by the show Haunted Towns that you worked on, Tim, and with uh, with Doogie and Porter. And excited to bring them bring them over uh, to or bring them up actually to Plymouth to experience Plymouth the way that um, that you've experienced and that I've experienced it. And we have John Zaffis, the Haunted Collector. Um, we have you and Stephanie. We're really excited about having the local connection is is important to making this this Paracon special. And uh, and you're going to have some folks there that are from Plymouth that are going to be helping out and, and taking part in different ways as well. Yeah, so we have Darcy H. Lee, who is the author of The Ghosts of Plymouth, Massachusetts, and she's been on your show before. She's kicking off the evening on Friday, uh, September 21st, giving a lecture about the ghosts of Plymouth. And we're working uh, very closely with, with Jeffrey Campbell, who uh, he actually runs the Plymouth Night Tour. And, he's, yeah, and it's uh, Tim and Stephanie here with a special and reported portion of Spooky South Coast. Tours before the investigation on Saturday night. And uh, and both of those folks, uh, Darcy and Jeff, are two of the nicest people in the world, but mm-hmm. two of the just walking encyclopedias, not only of Plymouth's paranormal history, but just of its history overall. So when you are spending time with them, you're going to get the complete experience and you're going to get the complete story of Plymouth. Uh, that's what's uh, so amazing about, uh, you know, all the people that are in there. You've, you've got experts in so many different areas that you're going to come away with this, not only having a good time, but you're going to come out of there with a wealth of knowledge that you didn't have going in as well. Mm-hmm. And what's good about the Plymouth Paracon, it's it's going to be like a boutique Paracon experience. So we're, we're not having, you know, the guests that are visiting. They're not going to be sitting at tables, not interacting. This is a very hands-on, interactive, intimate experience with people that you see on television, the people that you watch on Spooky South Coast or listen to on Spooky South Coast. So this is a wonderful way to really ha- have an intimate, uh, wonderful experience with uh, people that you respect in the paranormal field over a weekend. And uh, we've we've got uh, in the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, we've got uh, Rebecca in there, who yes. uh, actually was my classmate in Plymouth. That's super when, funny. Uh, when I went to school there, in elementary school. So. And she's a huge fan of Haunted Towns, and only, I think she told me that she created her Twitter account just because of the show. So, <laughs> so see, that's, there's, there's a, a long paranormal connection going all the way back to third right? grade. Third grade. That's so, where it all started. But the, uh, and that's, I think people will really, when they get to Plymouth, uh, you, you, it's, it's an amalgamation of many different things. It's, it, the history is there, but there's also, uh, a, a very strong youth culture. There's a very strong, 
civic pride in that town as the as the 400th is coming up. There's also uh, a very strong uh, community of young people, especially young business owners. So there's going to be shops that people are going to want to go mm-hmm. and visit. And there's going to be you know sites that they're going to want to go see. So in addition to all the great stuff that is happening with the Plymouth Paracon, you're going to be in this town where uh, so much stuff is available to you and will still be pretty much in the season because yes. even though summer is over, you know, the autumn is a, is a, beautiful a here. huge time yes. for, for Plymouth, especially leading up all the way to Thanksgiving. So, there is nothing like New England in the fall. Sam, did you try to get the Mayflower to come back in time? Because uh, I know I that it's... Tried. <laughs> yeah, I tried, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't realize that the, the Mayflower was uh, under renovations when I booked a year ago. But uh, it will be there in spirit. And truthfully, the, the stuff where we're going to be, you want to be, this is a different uh, experience that can't really compare you to, 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 the, to the Mayflower. So I think that, you know, the idea of just experiencing it, you probably don't even would want to go out to the waterfront to see the Mayflower. You want to stick around the cemetery near uh, Town Square. Right, right. But, I mean, I, you know, we, we're starting things off Friday night with the VIP experience. But... Come up early on Friday, spend some time around town. Yes. You know, stick around Sunday afternoon, spend some time around town. Uh, Plymouth Plantation will still be open if people want to go there. There's, there's, there's plenty of stuff to see, but as you said, there's going to be so much stuff going on around the John Carver Inn and, and in that area that, you know, you're going to need to be kind of focused on that. So let everybody kind of know about the different things that are available if they want to take part and all the different ways that they can take part. Sure. If you want to experience the entire weekend, there's a VIP ticket that will give you access to everything, including the Friday night VIP party, the Saturday event and lecture series, um, and also the investigation starting at the Church of the Pilgrimage on Saturday night. And we're very lucky to have Stephanie, who's going to start off uh, the investigation with with a group meditation uh, at or, or just reaching out to and setting up uh, safety for when it comes to the, the investigation on Saturday night. And Sunday, we're, it's going to be a wind-down uh, session. We're having breakfast at the John Carver Inn. And then hopefully um, people will be able to go to the grist mill, which is literally across the street, and they can hang out uh, and hopefully see the ducks with you, Tim, if you're able to go. I love the Jenny Grist Mill. It's one of my favorite places. There's a, and people don't realize this. They go there, and they go and they feed the ducks, and they don't realize there's actually a little footbridge that you can walk over to. There's another island where you can actually go and get away from all the cars and sit and feed the ducks. So just as long as no geese show up, uh, no uh, swans show up. Swans and I don't get along. I heard the swan story, and it's a, such a good story, and I still laugh my I, butt off every time I, I hear it. I had to punch a swan um, Yeah. It's just so amazing. So, uh, you know, just a a small PSA. If anybody loses Tim and we don't know where he is, just please look for the nearest swan and check out that island. That's That's where he might be. But and and uh, and you mentioned that there'll be a breakfast. Of course, the Hearth and Kettle in the in the John Carver Inn is uh, just a fantastic restaurant. But there's also there's that VIP dinner happening as well, right? Right. So we're doing a, a T-Bones on Saturday night, and I learned uh, through word of mouth that a lot of people don't eat pork. <laughs> but <laughs> we're still having it on Saturday night, and that is going to be a T-Bones from uh, 6 to 7.30. And the only way to have access to that dinner is to um, is to be a VIP member, and it's an add-on for the VIP uh, ticket holders. But the uh, I can tell you, I've been to T-Bones many times. There's, there's other things on the menu besides pork. Exactly. So if you don't eat it, you'll find something that you'll you'll love there. And it's, we'll have uh, a vegetarian option and maybe even a keto option too. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's some of the best barbecue that you can get up well, here. Keto's so. easy. The vegetarian part might be 
be worse, but the the keto is just no bread, so oh, it'll okay, be so perfect. We'll oh yeah, it'll it'll be super easy. So everybody can get all this information and get all these tickets uh, by going to PlymouthParacon.com and uh, and get them now because we're coming up on the event itself. We're only a couple of weeks away, so you don't want to miss out on your chance. I know uh, I spoke to the hotel uh, a little while ago, Sam. I know that they were already just about sold out of rooms uh, with the with the special deal, but there is a special deal if people act fast if they want to get a discount on staying at the John Carver Inn, right? Absolutely, and there's there's also there's alternatives that are nearby that people can go to as well. Uh, but yeah, there's still a few rooms available at the John Carver and to experience it. But again, Plymouth, there's there's so many opportunities for other hotels that are within that that area that would be great, like the Best Western, and there's a Comfort Inn as well. Yeah, there's a number of uh, different places that you can stay. And if you're not sure about how to get around, and you're not sure if if you stay in this place, if it's going to take you too far away from the action, anybody can just hit me up, Tim at Spooky South. Southcoast.com or or shoot me a, a message on Twitter or Facebook and I will uh, I will be happy to answer any of your questions about all the different uh, avenues that you can take to make sure that you can all come to Plymouth no matter where you're coming from and be able to take part in the Plymouth Paracon. It's going to be a lot of fun, three days of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting together with everybody and and being able to again show off you know a place where I grew up. Absolutely, and we're getting low on VIP tickets. So, if you guys, if you want to go to the Plymouth Paracon and you want that VIP experience, act on it now because we're getting low and the excitement is building. So uh, definitely go to PlymouthParacon.com to secure your tickets now. Right. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. We'll see you in a few weeks. All right. See you, see you Tim. See you, Stephanie. Bye, Take Sam. Care. Bye. That is Sam Baltrusis. Again, PlymouthParacon.com is the website. If you want to go and get your tickets now, I would recommend not waiting because I think people are finally starting to come out of summer mode now that we're in Labor Day weekend. And they're like, okay, my summer's over. Now i got to start planning what I'm going to do in the fall. Now i got to start planning all of my paranormal Christmas stuff that I yes. want to do to get ready. Uh, so th- this, of course, is kind of the big kickoff to the Halloween season. So you want to make sure that you get your tickets. Again, you get to hang out with Stephanie and myself. You get to hang out with Porter and Doogie and, and John Zaffis and Darcy and Sam will be there. And oh, there's there's a huge lineup of it, people. It's an awesome lineup, too. And I have to say, I just I was with Porter and John Zaffis this past weekend in Michigan Paracon. And the three of us were talking about how we can't wait for this event. It's going to be so much fun. So, And a lot of our friends are coming from all over the country just to come and They really are. Experience it's funny it, so. because a lot of people are coming from out of state that I know instead of, you know, the local crowd. So I, I hope that the... The list keeps growing. Oh, absolutely! I keep and trying to sucker people into if getting on If you've airplanes. always wanted to, if you've always thought about coming to Plymouth, this is the perfect excuse, the perfect reason. And uh, like I said, I, I don't mind being like an unofficial tour guide and giving you some right. ideas of places to go and check out. I can even tell you, you know, if you're thinking about coming up for the week, maybe. In, a lot of people know? are telling me that they are, especially out of state people. They're trying to hit up uh, Salem, Gloucester. Um, the Lizzie Warden House. If you want to do that, so, we can we can tell you all yes. kinds of places that will even even just in the Plymouth area. Oh my we can God, tell yeah. you a bunch of places that you can check out, uh, and of course, so can like, Jeff Campbell. Like cupcakes, cupcake Charlies. No, I mean have like ha- I'm at haunted no, places. No, no, the food. You always have to worry about the food. Well, that's why I I, I want to go to. I don't know. If and do, do you say Katie's? I don't know how you pronounce it. I don't know. But the burger bar that's across from the John Carver and they have the Plymouth Rock I think Burger. It's, um, it's Iggy's. Iggy's ice cream? Have you been there? No. They have pumpkin flavored ice cream. I've had pumpkin ice cream. It's pretty good. Oh my good. god, it's so good. 
Uh, so, but there's also there's McGrath Seafood mm-hmm. right on the water. There's uh, there used to be a great Mexican place called the Guanas, but that's now something mm-hmm. else. Uh, there's also, uh, of course, Isaac's. If you're looking for some fine dining right on the waterfront, Plymouth Bay Winery, excellent. There's uh, there's there's no lacking of of things to do. And, uh, of course, you're even going to want to visit the little <laughs> souvenir shop that's right across from where the Mayflower usually right. is. Uh, the Mayflower is actually, it's out of its usual berth for repairs. It'll be coming back in time for the 400th in 2020. Sam, so. if uh, if you're still listening, which I'm pretty sure you are, if I get lost, just look at the winery, not the island punching swans like Tim. You can't get lost in Plymouth. It was a joke. You can't get lost. Well, you can't get if, lost. I know exactly how to get to the winery. Right. Yeah. If 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 you're if you're at the winery, it's not because you got lost. No. It's because you made a conscious <laughs> decision. Uh, all right. So, but, but again, Plymouth Paracon coming up. Hopefully, you will all come and join us and uh, let us know if you are coming so that we can make sure that we say, I'm, I'm just looking forward to getting to the VIP party on Friday night and letting my hair down. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. You <laughs> couldn't have any more. Uh, yeah. Well, what were you thinking? Normally, I cut my hair. Uh, in the summertime, you do, at the but beginning, I'm super late but, this year. Yeah, I just didn't get around to it, so I figured. Uh, figured now is well. I was mowing the lawn, and I was like, I'll just go over my head to it at the same time. Right, get it all done at once. Okay, well, why don't we uh, now? We will go to our interview with James Van Prague. Uh, yesterday, Stephanie and I recorded this interview. It's it's about a half an hour. We'll come back afterwards uh, with open lines for you to call in and share your paranormal experiences, your paranormal thoughts and questions at 508-996-0500. But uh, yesterday, we had uh, the chance to interview James Van Prague again. Uh, he is going to be in the area this Friday. He'll be in Woonsocket, Rhode Island at the Stadium Theater. Some tickets are still available, and I recommend getting those quickly because they'll probably sell out uh, before Friday. Uh, the stadium is a pretty big place. I can tell you, though, from having done the stage show there, it's uh, it's a large theater. It probably seats about 800 or so, but you're going to feel really intimate. So when you're there, like it's it's very close, uh, and and it's very haunted, too. I heard that. There's like ton- the, uh, there's um, they're not really tunnels, but there's like all these underground areas where uh, they have the dressing rooms and everything. And when you're down there, it's just it's creepy as heck. So I'm I'm really interested to see what happens when people go there, and uh, and when James is there doing his thing too, connecting with uh, the spirits of loved ones who are no longer with us, but also you know the, as I told them in the interview, keep your eye out for some of the other ghosts that are there. I'm excited. I can't wait to get there. And. Uh, we we should have, we should hook you up with the the people that run it. Maybe they can let you kind of wander around a little bit, and you can that would be awesome. check out some of the the stuff. I don't. I mean, I don't know Probably how much. Probably not that night, but no, I'm sure they'll let you around. Think so? Sure. Well, you said you're going to get up there early, so you don't have yeah. to park down well, the street. Yeah, so. you gave me that tip, so now I'm going to have to follow. So it'll give you something to do. All right. Uh, so yes, and uh, I, Bart L just mentioned it in the chat room. I will be uh, guest hosting Midnight in the Desert again this week on Thursday and Friday. So uh, make sure, you know, if you're not already a subscriber to Midnight in the Desert on the Dark Matter Digital Network, make sure you get your subscription if you are not going to be able to listen live so that you can catch those shows. But it's $5 a month. It's well worth the mm-hmm. subscription to get all the great shows. And uh, so, again, I had I did two shows last week. I'll do two shows this week coming up. I have some shows coming up in October that I'll be filling in as well. I love it. So much fun. So uh look forward to talking to you all on that. Uh, but we'll be back 
with the rest of the live portion of the program coming up uh, after this brief interview with James Van Prague here on Spooky South Coast. And it's Tim and Stephanie here with a special recorded portion of Spooky South Coast. So we could have pretend, you know, we could have just tried to pretend like we were live. <laughs> but I think that that would have, uh, it would have revealed some of our secrets. But we are very pleased to have joining us, uh, returning to the program to Spooky South Coast, probably the world's most famous medium and certainly one of our favorites here on the program. We have James Van Prague joining us again. Good evening, sir. How are you? Um, I'm great. Tim, how are you? And Stephanie, hello. How are you? Hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Nice to hear your voice. And uh, we are, we're having you on tonight. Uh, obviously, you know, we love talking to you, and we certainly love every opportunity we get to have to speak with you. But we're having you on because you'll actually be coming up to our neck of the woods uh, this coming Friday night. You'll be in Woonsocket at the Stadium Theater. That is correct. The first time I've been there, so I'm looking forward to meeting all the Rhode Islanders. And I can tell you that uh, I have been there myself. We we do a stage show where we go around and we tell ghost stories on stage in front of these really creepy photos. And we've done the stadium theater, and I can tell you firsthand, very haunted. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. That's really nice to know. <laughs> well, you would have known anyway. I guess it's called job security. Yes. <laughs> you would have known as soon as you walked in, so I'm yeah, just giving you, you a heads up. You feel in the atmosphere as soon as you walk in. You do feel it. And I would expect those areas up there in New England to be that way. So, yeah. Well, that must be something that you encounter, though, uh, at, at a lot of the different venues that you go to around the world because I think that there's so much love and, and so much energy expelled for, for the theater that you probably have a lot of spirits that are still hanging around when you get there to, to do your performances. Yeah, you know, I have had experiences like that. I've actually remember one, a couple in England, actually, which I was very aware of. A, a, an usher lady who died, and she she came through. And she was up there in the theater. So, yeah, I, I've had a lot of those experiences, actually. Has there been uh, any place that you've been to where kind of the, the spirits that were in the theater itself were overwhelming and, and, and kind of got in the way of you being able to connect with the loved ones of the audience members? You know, no, that, that's a good question, and the answer would be no, not exactly, but I, uh, and I have feedback on my phone. Is that Okay. Uh, I'm I'm not hearing any. Uh, I can turn. Oh, I'll, I'll turn I, I ourselves down. Voice, right. So I want to lower my octave. Okay. <laughs> um, so I said the only place that had been really overwhelming for me was a place um, in San Diego, and actually I'm going to be going back there. It's uh, the Hotel Del Coronado, and I walked in there several years ago with my nephew, probably ten years ago, and I saw all these ladies wearing Victorian dresses, and I was. Uh, shocked and over overwhelmed. The feeling was overwhelming. And I said to my nephew, this place is very haunted. I need to leave right away. And we did. <laughs> because it was, when you walk into a place like that that has heavy energy, you feel like you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, uh, sometimes, too, I can imagine that uh, for the folks that are in the audience, even if they're not you know, even if they have no abilities themselves, they have no even, uh, just even the remote sense of an ability, they can probably feel being in these places with some of the energy that's around. Because I know as soon as I walked into the stadium theater, I said, well, this place certainly feels different. Yeah, it, 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 it's a very much an atmospheric feeling of sense. And, and I, I really do believe hauntings are mostly residue left over uh, from the soul. The most of the soul has gone on. But there is that memory loop, if you will, that they stay there. And when there's an emotional connection, 
it seems that it's much stronger. So like you say, if there's a love of the theater uh, or a, certain, a love of certain things they, they used to do, they'll they stay there. When I did the show Ghost Whisper, I remember we went around the sets or went in Universal Studio, and we actually was aware of very uh, departed directors and actresses who were still there. So that was pretty creepy. <laughs> but it's also good to be able to get out and, you know, see people and, and be out there and surround yourself with uh, all the all the energy of the folks that are there in the audience, uh, both, you know, the ones living and the ones on the other side, but also to be able to bring that. Because I know that, you know, you're available to folks in other ways. They can always set things up with you uh, through technological means. But to be there in person and to stand there uh, face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and be able to offer them the the service of your abilities and to be able to offer them the connection that they need you to be there to make for them, that's got to be rewarding for you personally to to see that in their face when, when you are able to make that connection for them. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, when they learn that love continues, that there is no death, and that love continues on, and that their loved ones are still part of their everyday life, you can imagine that, that their whole world opens up. And I sometimes really, I'm very aware of, on, on a certain level, that when certain information is revealed to the, the recipient, there's like this opening above them of this light. And it's like amazing that, you know, the, the, the energy force of love is so strong. And, and then you bring that through to from the spirit world, the other world, into this world, the recipient, and say things that no one would know about, the specific details. It's just, it's a blow away. It's a, it changes their lives. It changes the paradigm. And not only for them, but every single person sitting in that space is affected by it. We have been, uh, you know, fortunate enough here, you know, my, my co-host Stephanie Burke is, is also a, a psychic medium. But we've been fortunate enough here to see a variety of different uh, mediums and, and see how their gift works and, and how they're able to make these connections. Uh, just kind of refresh our audience's uh, mind on how it is that you're able to make these connections, how, how it works for you when you're tuning into this gift. Well, how it works for me is I will um, go into a space without any preconceived ideas, notions, or anything, I, a blank slate, and I, before I go on stage, I sit in meditation, and I really, in that time, um, opening myself to the other world, and I ask them to come close and step next to me, and open up the space around me, the atmosphere around me for them to come in, and I really begin to, if you will, open the chakra points and bring up my power, my energy, get into what we call the power power the the effervescence that essence if you will and and when i go on stage um you know i I first of all teach the audience about mediumship a lot of them don't know mediumship but the first time seeing me or seeing a medium so i explain the process of spirit communication i also explain what happens when we pass over when we die when we leave the physical body what actually happens what it's like on the other side and then i'll go through the process of communication and then i will bring through a spirit to What's happening, actually, is the spirit will lower their vibration, lower their energy by their thoughts, because they live in a very mental world. But we live in a physical world. They live in a mental world. So it's a thought world they live in. Things are very solid and real, but it's done with their thoughts. Okay? So what happens is they have to think, I must lower my vibration. I must slow down my energy. By slowing them down, it lowers them down to the human level, at which point they will then project a thought, a feeling, a memory into my mind, from their mind to my mind. So the soul really is the mind. The mind is the soul. The brain does a physical death, but the mind continues on. So really what it is, it's, it's telepathy. It's telepathic. 
that is sending my mind these, this information. I see this woman is sending me a picture of herself. She's a, a dark-haired lady, died at 57 years of age. She died of a, uh, an aneurysm. Her name, she gives me the name of Helen or Ellen, I'm hearing. She has brown eyes. I know her daughter is sitting in the audience. I know you're wearing her bracelet on your left wrist. Where does that apply to in the audience? And the recipient then understands and stands up and says, that's exactly me, that's my mother or whoever it is. And that's really what happens. Then the spirit will then give me messages and information. I'm known as a survival evidence medium, which means that I bring through evidential details, names, places, events, that no one would know but the recipient and the spirit. And it's to prove survival of consciousness, survival of death, that there is no death. And it's, it's such a healing experience, as you mentioned. So that's really what I do. And we were uh, talking before uh, before we connected with you. We were talking about uh, how you were coming here and and being able to to meet the New England audience. I think that you'll find that when you come here, you'll have a lot of people who are a lot more open minded. I know that you've done shows in the New England area in the past, so you, you're aware yeah. of this. But you know, you'll find people that are more open minded and more. I don't want to say. Uh, that they're more spiritual than they are in other places, but because we're surrounded with so much uh, paranormal activity around these parts, I think people are more willing to understand and accept the fact that, yes, you know, the, the, those who have passed on are always around us. Yeah, without a doubt, and it makes my job that much easier because I'll tell you, the hardest place to work is New York. They're very, very hard, very cynical mm -hmm. New Yorkers. And being from New York, it's okay for me. I can work with them because I know how their mindset. But when you go to other parts of the country, uh, that are more open, it's so much easier for the medium because the medium doesn't have to go through the wall of, you know, disbelief or skepticism, and it makes it much easier. And and also, too, that's part of the, around the world, the same thing. There are different countries that are much more open, or, or cities in different countries. In England, for instance, the northern part of England is very difficult, very closed in many respects. But toward London, the Midlands, then toward London, they're very much more open. So it, it depends, really, really, it is, it is regional for sure. That's absolutely true. I think I have the worst time in the South. Every time I oh, try yeah, the South, yeah, it's awful. I don't even go to the South, so good for you, Steph. Yeah. I don't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, so funny to hear. You don't go to the South? I don't go to the South, no. I, I went to the South once. You know, when I, first, when I, when I came out, it was uh, back in the 97 or whatever it was, and it was very, I was surrounded with skeptics and, and all mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And the last thing I want to do is go down the south where the, the Bible belt and try yes, to fight that. So yes, yeah, I never have, made it there. I've had the <laughs> pleasure of uh, doing some readings down in the Tennessee area, and uh, I, I I break through. But um, yeah, I'm sure you would. I'm sure I'm they sure talk about would. me in church on Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, it's sad to say. I, I mean, I should go there. I went to Louisville, Kentucky once. And okay. I was met with some wonderful people uh, with you know desserts, pies, cakes. Uh, flowers, and they were just so gracious. So they have, you know, of course, there are lovely people everywhere, but it just, yeah, <laughs> I haven't done it on a regular basis. <laughs> you know, I meet some some people that truly need the healing, and I'm grateful that I'm able to do that. But they're so terrified when they come to talk to me because they're afraid that their friends and their family are going to find out about it. So I just figure I'll keep coming as long as the business is there, and and that's what I'm meant to do. But it's it's very difficult. And yeah, well, you know, as, as, a, as a medium, we're here to teach others and right. to open up their minds. And, and if we look at it from that point of view, it, it makes it somewhat easier. And I, and I believe the intelligence of the spirit world guides us. So yes. I think we're in a place we need to be, we're meant to be. And even if it seems really hard, which it is many times, as you know, it, it's you're there to open them up in some level. And 
you know, we never know what we're going to say. There are certain seeds that we can spread, and at a later time, they'll blossom. So, you know, that's all we have to remember. No, it's so good, and, you know, thank you for saying that because we try to push that out even, you know, on our radio show all the time that, you know, everybody should be open-minded, and we do try to plant seeds to try to change people's minds um, out of a negative mindset especially, so that's awesome. And, yeah, that, and that, you know, that changed their whole life, but negative mindset would change every aspect right? of their lives, really, when you think about it, they can do that. You know, Stephanie, you had mentioned that you think that they may be talking about you in church down in Tennessee. Yes. But I recently had the opportunity to go somewhere where they talk about mediums in church all the time. I know. I, I me. I got to go and spend a weekend in Lilydale, James. I'm sure you've been there before. Oh, I've been there many times, yes. And, and certainly <laughs> that, that it, it was like I, I went through a, a change by spending time there. I went through uh, just a change in my outlook and, and who I am as a person, just walking around that town and, and interacting with the folks that live there. It certainly had an effect on me. That, that's a very haunted place. I, that's another place that you mentioned. Haunted. I was uh, doing an event there on a Sunday, and I went, got there on a Friday. And I'm Saturday night, and I'm in this little hotel they have there. And it's three floors. I'm on the second floor. No, I'm sorry. There were two, two, two levels. I'm on the second floor. And probably about five or six in the morning, I'm hearing above me these ladies speaking and banging, moving furniture around. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, why are they up so early and moving furniture around? And, and then when I got out of bed in the morning, a friend was staying in another room. I said, did you hear those people upstairs? And she said, James, there's no other floor. This is it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I, I mean, that's one of the things that I think people are always questioning when it comes to uh, mediumship abilities is, is they want to know, like, does it, does it sneak up on you? Are you able to effectively block it out at certain times? I mean, I've got to assume that you want to... I got to assume... I'm not sure what that I'm was. I'm sorry. I, I, something happened. That, that's, what's, <laughs> okay. that's what happens when you start talking about this stuff. Right. I, it's a good question, and, and, and unfortunately, there's some misinformation out there, and it, it's done because, you know, um, certain TV shows or way it's done is that people don't understand it, producers don't understand things. When you work as a, as a proper medium and developing correctly, you need to you, you realize that when you're working, you're opening yourself up. You're opening yourself up to the other world, and there's a process to that. And when you're finished, you close down, and you should not be communicating with them, not unless you're working. Every once in a while, of course, being a psychic, you'll pick up things, yes, without a doubt. But to me, there's such a respect for that world, and I have to be responsible as a medium, and that would be opening up when I'm working and closing down when I'm not. We, we got a question from, uh, we, we solicited for some of our listeners to send in questions since uh, we, we weren't able to have you on the show live. And okay. one, of the, one of the questions that came up was, what is your take on reincarnation and life cycles? If you are communicating with spirits of those who have passed on, do you think that they sometimes do come back and, and take another form? I do believe in reincarnation. I, I totally believe in reincarnation. And I, I believe that the soul is so much more than just this physical body. I, I often say that the soul is... Uh, 20% in the body, 80% out of the body. And, and I think that we've got to realize that we're in a, uh, a linear world, a linear time span here, and that we can exist in several places and spaces all at the same time. And there's no reason why we can't have a past life and a future life and a current life all at the same time. But <laughs> I do believe that we come back in soul groups and and. In one lifetime, you might be a mother. Next time, you have to be the son. It, it's almost as if the world is a stage, 
and you have to learn the different characters in the play and, and learn the different roles. And sometimes your role will be on the stage, sometimes it'll be behind the stage. So it, it all changes. But the basic thing to remember is that this is our schoolroom for the soul, and the soul comes back to progress and learn many lessons with each other. Now, when I communicate with the spirit world, I'm communicating with that personality of the soul that you just knew about on the physical earth. So that there's probably so much more to that soul than that person is aware of at this level. But that's what I'm communicating with that personality. And then another question that came up is, are you dealing with, uh, or do you ever deal with spirits that are somehow uh, trapped from being able to move on? And if so, how do you help them? You know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, that's our, our home. That's a beautiful, loving space and incredible space. Why would we want to hang out down here where it's really hard and difficult when we could be back home? So we've got to be very careful when we think about those things because, you know, I, I think the imagination of the human can create a lot of stuff. And uh, I, I don't think, I don't believe souls are trapped as much as we think they are. I, I just don't. I, I think that why the heck would they want to? And the intelligence of the spirit world, it certainly wouldn't create that, that's for sure. So I think that's more human-mindedness than spiritual-mindedness. I'm going to take it back to souls for a minute, because this is a question that I've had a lot lately, and I've actually come across a lot lately. What is your take on twin flames or twin souls? So a twin flames, twin souls, can, we can easily say they're also soulmates. So those are souls that experience many, many lifetimes together, and almost as if experiencing the same experiences, going through many of the same experiences together. So it would be those who have an affinity toward each other who have shared many lifetimes or experiences. So we could call that a soulmate, a soul twin, twin flame. Um, so we've got different names, but it's an, I would say the easiest way, Stephanie, there's an affinity that these souls have together. Also, you'll find that with twins, regular twins in physical life, that they're so connected. Uh, so it's those souls that have had many, many experiences together and shared lives, many lives together. One of the other questions that came, and I don't think he'll mind me blowing up his spot and saying who it was that submitted the question, but this comes from a uh, you know noted noted skeptic, uh, Ben Radford, who wants to know uh, why. Well, if I don't know him, so it can't be too known. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wants to know why if uh, if if these abilities do exist, how come more mediums aren't able to use them to help solve like missing person cases and uh, and to be able to tune into to those spirits who might be looking for help in and helping to figure out what happened to them. Well, um, yeah. Well, you know. I, Listen, I, I, I think it's very good to be skeptical. I'm very open to skepticism, but I, I think a skeptic, I'm an open-minded skeptic. I think it's great to be an open-minded skeptic, because I, and I am. But it means that you, you know, but being open-minded skeptic means that you're, you're open to learning something else. And that's why we come back here. Mm-hmm. But a cynic is very different. A cynic is someone whose mind is already made up without the experience. And so... The skeptics, you know, I, I once had, I'm sorry, I'm going off here, but it's a really good one. I once did a workshop with children, psychic, psychic workshop for children on a weekend. And there were all these skeptical, skeptical people, whatever it means, skeptical people at the entrance of the parking lot holding signs, there's no truth in Casper and, you know, burned at the stake and all, and all this weird stuff. And I'm like, what the heck? So I parked my car and I walked out to them. There were seven of them. And I said, it's 75 degrees in the hot sun in California. What are you doing standing here getting burned, holding these stupid signs up? Wait, well, you can't speak to dead people. Nobody can. I'm like, well, I, I don't understand that. 
well, you do this. And I was like, I said, have you ever seen me work? And the the man that was speaking for the group said, said, no, we've never seen you work. Well, so how can you make up an intelligent choice, a solution to this, without seeing me work, having the experience of watching and observing how I work? And he said, uh, uh, he had no answer to that. And I said, come, uh, come be my guest at my demonstration next weekend in Mission Viejo. And he said, what? And he looked at me like I had three heads on my shoulders. Because like, he said, are you really James from Prague? I said, yes. He said, you're invited? I said, yes. So I invited him to the demonstration, and I'd say four out of seven came. And they were blown away, but they couldn't let it out. But they said, you mentioned that you were very um, you were open-minded skeptic. We really liked that, and we enjoyed tonight. Thank you. And, and I never heard a thing from them. So, um, you know, I, I would say, first of all, mediumship and psychic work is different. So, mm-hmm. you know, people then and other people need to know the difference between the two. So a medium is not somebody who solves cases, murder cases, and talks about the future. That's more of a psychic, right? So that's a psychic. A medium is somebody who talks to dead people. That's really what it is. And a medium will bring through what the other world, the spirit world, will allow them to bring through. So there might be some instances that are veiled or hidden that the soul has to learn certain um, lessons by. And if a loved one loves them so much, they're not going to give them the answers to the test because they want them to progress. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's one of the responses. Well, I, I know, though, too, I mean, obviously, uh, it might work differently for different people, but is it a proximity thing, too? Like, could you just sit on your couch and tune into the spirit? I mean, I know there's no real spatial spatial right. aspect to where they are, but is, is it easy to sit on, like, your couch at home and tune in with uh, the spirit of a loved one of somebody that lived in Tunisia, or do you kind of have to be in Tunisia to kind of zone in on no, those spirits? No, but I, I used to, you know, I did probably 11 appearances on Larry King Live, and I did it, and I have a radio show on Hay House Radio every Tuesday, and all I need to hear, Tim, is the voice, mm-hmm. and the voice tunes me into that vibration, and when you think about it, because it's all thought, that love that person's calling and asking for someone, they've already thought of their loved one before they made that phone call. So they've already drawn them close to them with their thoughts. So all I'm doing is tuning into that voice and as they tune into the voice that opens up the atmosphere around them and that's what I how I transmit how I'm receiving transmission. This might be a little bit of a loaded question for you, but uh, I love loaded questions. Well here's the thing is uh, in recent years <laughs> With the rise of the the paranormal television shows and people going out and making this equipment, there are folks out there now who are claiming that they can create these devices that essentially do the same thing that it is that you do. Uh, they are creating, uh, for lack of a better term, these boxes. And uh, there's one guy in particular who has really angered everybody with with some of his approaches and and his. Uh, What's his name? Do you remember? Uh, Steve Huff. And I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but I uh, haven't. He claims to uh, make contact with every celebrity who passes away, like within 24 hours of them passing away. Oh, God. If, even if you being James Van Prague, the, the most famous medium in the world, if, you know, two hours or, or even 24 hours after a celebrity passed away, you wouldn't feel the need to go out there and tell the world this message that he shared with you, right? Because that would be something that is, he's usually reaching out for you for a personal reason or, or to speak to somebody personally, but you wouldn't have to go out there and, 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 and share these messages with people and, uh, and put yourself up on YouTube as saying, hey, I know I just talked to John McCain the day after he passed away. Oh, God, no. I mean, just, just, can, can I just be honest? 
Yes. I, you know, I'm a cynical New Yorker, too, but <laughs> there's a lot of crap out there, I'm sorry to say. Mm-hmm. There really is. And, and there's a lot of that. And you've got to be very that, talk about skeptical. You've got to be skeptical because uh, with something I'd have to have evidence. And I would think that the celebrity pastor would have a heck of a lot more to do than come back and talk to someone through a box. Now, I do believe there are techniques and there, there are technologies that are being developed where you can energetically work through them, and they're trying to perfect that. Albert Einstein was working on something before he passed, and, and also Edison was very much involved in that. Um, and I think it's possible. I don't think it's been perfected yet. There was a, a man who was interesting in Italy, and he would use a phonograph, and supposedly able spirit voices came through that way very, very clearly. So in some ways, they can affect technology. I mean, think about it, it's all the magnetic field, it's energy, how they affect the energy. So that's possible. I believe it's possible. I'm not aware of anything right now that is actually working that I'm, that I'm aware of. So, I mean, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, that's something to take take to heart when, when people are making these proclamations. You know, just take into heart the fact that you're right. There's more important things going on. And, uh, and, and coming back to help you sell a couple more of your $10,000 boxes probably isn't on the celebrity's mind. But now, because, you know, something about celebrities is very interesting. Um, I've worked with many celebrities. i worked with a lot of them. You know, Cher's husband, which is funny, most well-known publicly. Uh, the first thing is they're not the celebrity that they think they are. When they pass over, they're just like you and me. They're, they're mm-hmm. souls. Right. The human beings on the earth made them a personality. So they don't go over to the spirit and say, oh, I'm a personality. It's really their soul. Lucia Ball once came back to me, and it was, this was funny, in a garden, and I, I was cutting roses. And she came back, and, and I don't know why she came back to me, but she did. And she said, I, I, I came back to the earth um, to heal people through laughter. And that made sense to me. She mm-hmm. said, I'm not what they made me out to be. I am who I am. Well, I mean, and that just goes to show, too, that, you know, what she did here on Earth was just so inherent in her personality and, and who she was that exactly. it was still part of her personality after the fact that she was, you know, leaving this physical realm. you got to separate the truth from the, you know, the rest of it because, boy, there's a lot of people out there who jumped on that, that the bandwagon of the paranormal and the psychic and the, and the medium thing, and it's like, you know, I teach, I have a school online, and you know, you got to be very discerning, you got to be very careful, and... It's a responsibility, and to put that stuff out there, that's, you know, not right. But that's not too good. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Stephanie and I have talked about it in the past, and mm-hmm. we've talked about how, you know, even if, so if it's, even if it's a natural ability that you have, you still have to hone it and work at it, and you, exactly. you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't go try out for the Patriots just as you, you can throw a football, because that doesn't mean that you're Tom Brady, or better than Tom Brady. And, and tell yeah, people you that You have to all develop it. You have to develop your abilities. You have to unfold this unfoldment of your soul that needs to happen. And if you're going to work as a psychic, a medium, anything in the healing arts, you need to develop and be open and willing to always be developing. I'm still sharpening my pencil. Every day I sit in the meditation or I go through a circle, and always we've got to be willing to learn and, and develop. And, and you said that you do offer those classes for people. Uh, how can they find out if they want to take them? Uh, it's called the JVP School of uh, Mystical Arts. It's online. So www.jvpschoolofmysticalarts.com. And it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Thanks, it's Jeff. So it good. is amazing. I tell everybody it you're is. my personal Dumbledore. So, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Stephanie. It's good spread. I just finished a course today called the, a writer's course. So, oh. that'll be coming out in a couple of months. But Let's... I love it. I love it. As Stephanie knows, it's a great community, and I cover a lot in my my courses. 
You do. And honestly, when I first signed up, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so overwhelming because there's so much information. And, yeah. but it's probably yeah. the most well-written course that I've ever taken. I've, I've signed oh, up for you. three now. Um, and it's just, it's been so good to just hear and, and listen and watch things that I felt in my soul, but you validated for me. And that was my, my biggest aha for me was, oh my goodness, I'm not crazy. <laughs> No, you're not crazy. And it's very humbling. It's, it is. They're also very humbling. Yeah. It is. And it's, you know, I tell everybody it's hard work, but when you put it's in that hard work, work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Exactly. And I, I refer everybody that wants to learn. And people ask me all the time, can I learn? I'm like, I'll teach you some things, but I really think you should go over here and, and <laughs> sign up for this course because it's totally um, worth it. So it's, thank it's you, been amazing. It's, it's been an amazing journey for me. Into it, so you definitely it. have. I can, I can vouch yeah. for that. Uh, I will ask you one final question from our our list of submitted questions. Okay. Uh, what was your most uplifting experience in all your years of working as a medium? Oh, how could you ask me that question, Tim? That's just so crazy. <laughs> 40 years mm-hmm. of doing this work. How could I remember what I'm doing yesterday? There was one experience that happened that was just blow away. You know, you, every time you do it, it's definitely, you know, it's a miracle every time you bring to a message for somebody. And it's just mind-blowing. But, you know, you're kind of in an altered state of consciousness. So you, many times you can't retain, you know, the messages that have come through. But there was one that was outstanding, which I'll remember to the day I go. And it happened in Maui about two years ago, two or three years ago. And I was doing a, a demonstration at the Cultural Arts Center. And I was probably I was probably all the way through to the, sh- the demonstration, probably the last part of the demonstration. And I'm on stage, and a spirit girl about three years old shows up. And I think her name was Eileen or something. And blonde hair. And she was three years old, wearing a nice pink dress. And she was like, what shoes? And she said, I want to say hello to my mommy and my daddy in the back row. And um, today's my birthday. And I came to say hello to my mommy and daddy. So I I asked, and sure enough, the husband and wife, they, they stood up in the back. And the girl said, Daddy, I want to thank you for the angel wings you gave me for my birthday. And this big dude, this big guy, muscle-bound guy, stands up, takes his T-shirt off, turns around, and he had tattooed two huge angel wings on his back wow. for, her, for her birthday. Wow. <laughs> wow. Everybody was crying their eyes out. It was just unbelievable. So I couldn't go on from there. That was the end of, that was the, end of the demonstration. <laughs> I was going to say, that's got to be a, a really special moment for you. Yeah, it really was. It was really the love. And the love of a child, it's so great mm-hmm. when they come through because they're so innocent and pure. They don't come with a lot of the stuff that other, you know, older humans come in with. So it really was really rewarding for everyone sitting in that space. Again, I say, even though the message is for one person, it reaches many because everybody can relate to it. And uh, people will have that chance coming up next Friday to make those connections uh, with you when they come out to see you at the Stadium Theater in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Stephanie, I know you've had the chance to to check out James' show in person. I have. And honestly, I mean, by far the best demonstration of mediumship that I have seen in my entire lifetime. I've seen a lot of people. Wow, thank you, Stephanie. Um, (laughs) I was born and raised in this lifestyle, and it, it still fascinates me to see what you can do and to see the help and the healing that you bring to people. I was lucky enough to see you when you were reading with Maureen Hancock about four years ago 
Um, who, who I was just with just Yes, I saw that. Um, Maureen, <laughs> Maureen's niece and I are best friends, and we were able to sneak in right at the end of that show and be able to go in there. And um, oh, it, was, it was awesome, and I will be there next week for sure because it's been too oh, long. Thank so, you, um, <laughs> But, you know, been telling everybody local, please hurry up and get your tickets before they're sold out because it definitely will, and it's, it's, it's an awesome experience for everybody in the audience, whether you get a personal reading or not. Yeah, true, very true. And there are still some tickets available, but definitely hurry because it will sell out. Yes. StadiumTheater.com, VanProg.com, those are the places where you can go to find out more about the tickets. Uh, James, thank you so much for joining us again. It's it's always thank wonderful you, talking with you. Thank you. Love you talking to you, and thank you, Stephanie. I appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you. Oh, yes, definitely. And uh, okay, we, we'll be in touch soon. Yes. Bye. Thank you. Want to get those tickets, get them at the Stadium Theater website, get them at vanprog.com. Get them soon because they will sell out. It's uh, it's always fun talking with James. It's He's he's definitely somebody who is, um, you know, he's willing to pull down some of the veil of what it is that he does. He's so real and so raw with everything that he says. That's why I was so attracted to the way that he demonstrates his mediumship and the way that he presents himself and the way that he teaches his classes. It's just so real. Um, and he has an answer for everything. And if he doesn't, he's honest about it or he tells you what his take is on it. So I absolutely love everything that he does. And, uh, and I was explaining to someone that, uh, he doesn't just do any radio show either. That's very, we had to go through a process to Mm -hmm. get him on the first time. And uh, so then, you know, he he said that he would come back, and and we held him to it. So glad Four that he could later. come back. <laughs> and uh, if anybody else wants to uh, check him out, uh, you can get your tickets again stadiumtheater dot com or at vanprog dot com. Uh, those are both sites where you can get tickets to the Stadium Theater this Friday night to see James Van Prog live and in person at the very haunted Stadium Theater in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. And if you're if you're coming up for that, you know, if you're I can't wait. If you're coming up to that, you know, you might see Stephanie there, so you can say hi to her. And yes, come find me. Say hi, please. It'll be nice for her to be in a room full of uh, people looking for a psychic reading, a mediumship reading, and not having to be the one doing the work. You know, it's it's kind of fun to be in the other side of that. Do you ever? Um, well, not the actual other side. No, 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 no. Just the physical other side. But do you uh, do you turn? So if you're if you're there in the do you turn off your abilities or do you? T- Turn them on at the same time to see if you can kind of get the same, pick up on the same things he's picking up on. I don't do that because when that happens, and I've read with other mediums at the same time before, it's almost like the spirit will give each of us different information. So I try not to do but, that. But that's different when you're reading with another medium, when it's the two of you together standing in the front of the room Mm-mm. you're talking about. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. Same thing will happen if I'm sitting in the audience. Okay. Um, Candace and I have done that before. So, um, but at the same time, watching what he does, and it, he's so powerful. The way that that his energy just just it's flows. the mustache. It's it has to be the mustache so, is the root of all of his abilities. Candace and I watched him that first time, and we were sitting in the very last row because obviously she's Maureen's family and. You know, even though we had tickets, we wanted to make sure that... Um, you don't want him picking up on right. what you're putting out there. Well, we just figured, you know, let's stay out of the way. And um, I was sitting there, and Candace started laughing at me. She's like, you're going right into reading mode, because I do certain things um, that give it away. I was like, I know I can't help it. I can't stop it. I can't control that. I'm just so um, affected by the energy in the room. And it was really, really hard to keep that that 
uh, block up. So even when Candace used to do readings, you know, gallery readings at my office, if I sat in the room, it was really hard for me to just shut down because that energy I'm so used to, it almost like forces you into that mode. So it's very difficult to sit there and watch something like that without um, doing that. But I want to be able to just sit and watch and enjoy it. And obviously everybody there wants to be read. I would want to be read too. Does um, does alcohol dull your your abilities? Dull them? Yeah. No. Okay. Because no, it fires them up. I think you can get drinks at the stadium theater. Yeah, no, that's so. not going to help anything. Okay. Um, so that, well, I mean, it's all it's good for a night out too. Oh, of course. So that um that natural guard that everybody has up. Obviously, when you drink alcohol, it comes down. People don't have filters. You have liquid courage, things like that. With me, that guard is that guard that goes up to other people's energy and obviously the other side. When I drink, that guard goes down and I can read nonstop. It's just not safe to do that. So that way, that's why I really don't drink. Now, if I get drunk, I can't read anything. Right. I'm like, what's this say? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> if anybody wants to call in with any questions or comments or any experiences, anything that they want to share, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420 to call in toll-free. The number will be open for the rest of the program. Uh, for those of you who are uh, local and you live in the South Coast, and or even those of you who aren't, you should be following fun107.com as well as wbsm.com because now that I'm the digital managing editor for the two sites. I, I More often than not, if I write something, it's on fun107.com because I don't have to write news stories anymore. I mean, I still do. Right. Like if, if, if I need to, if they need me to write something newsy, I will. But uh, generally, I try to write things that are a little bit more wide-ranging. And so for a lot of that stuff, I publish it on fun107.com. And earlier this week, I had a story up there about the Local college here, the local university, UMass Dartmouth. It's the, the Dartmouth campus of the University of Massachusetts. It was formerly SMU and it's had a couple of other names in its, uh, in its existence. But I wrote a story about a, a common urban legend around here that it was designed by a devil worshiper. And this is something that I looked into when I wrote Ghost of the South Coast uh, about eight years ago. And I debunked some of the stories, some of the legends that are out there then. But they still, you know, they still persist. Part of that's probably because, you know, how many people have actually read my book. But there's a lot of, uh, you know, just a lot of uh, durability in this mm-hmm. story. That uh, every time that there's a new class of incoming freshmen to UMass Dartmouth, they find out about this. And that just keeps the legend perpetuating. Right. And it's it's one of those things that even if somebody tells you the truth... The story is just so good that you don't want to let it go. And so the way that the story goes, and if you've never seen the campus of UMass Dartmouth, it's uh, it's kind of hard to explain. Maybe, I mean, maybe Matt can throw some photos up while we're doing this, but you can just go to umassd.edu, and they have pictures of the campus there, or just look up you know, UMass Dartmouth campuses, uh, campus photos on Google Images. It's a very stark stone structures. Uh, all of the buildings are, are concrete, and the whole campus is, Matt's got a, a that, that's the fame, so from what I understand, Matt, I, I was told by somebody that the, the aerial shot kind of makes a pentagram, which is the first I've heard that, 
But you can see the, the structure and the style of those buildings uh, with the flat roofs and the just the stark, brutal style. It's actually called brutalism is the uh, architectural style. It's the same style and the same architect that designed Boston City Hall and uh, the J. Edgar Hoover FBI building in Washington, D.C. So anyway, so if you see that image there, you see the, the campanile in the middle. That's what they call that big needle, which is actually the radio tower for the radio station, but they call that the, the campanile. It's in the middle of the quad there. And the way that the story goes is that the architect, the designer of the UMass Dartmouth campus, Paul Rudolph, was a Satanist, and that he built UMass Dartmouth to be a portal from hell to earth for Satan to be able to come and carry out his desires here on earth. So the idea was that that campanile was supposed to be the, the, the way that they would broadcast the message out to all the demons that were around the world. Very Harry Potter-like. Kind of. Although this way predates Harry Potter, because I heard these right. legends in 1996 when I started going there. So the, the idea was that Rudolph built this so that Satan would come through. And when he didn't come through, Rudolph was distraught. So he climbed to the top of the Campanile. And on June 6, 1966, so 6666, he climbed to the top of the Campanile sometime between 9 and midnight. Mm -hmm. And he jumped to his death, committed suicide, died. And now every sixth of the month, no matter what month it is, between 9 and 12, if you go and you stand at the bottom of the Campanile and stare up, you will see the glowing ghost of Paul Rudolph jumping from the top of the Campanile. Now, there's only one small problem with that. Paul Rudolph died in 1997 from cancer after prolonged exposure to asbestos. Right. So when I heard this story in 1996, he wasn't even dead yet. Mm -hmm. So... It's the Liberty Valance effect. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And that's certainly what's been built up over the years at UMass Dartmouth because there is some, I don't want to say truth, but there's some aspects of the campus that lend to the credibility of the story. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that people say is that there's no clocks on the walls because Rudolph didn't want anybody to know what time it was because when you were when you're inside the walls of these buildings you were trapped in Satan's prison and the apocalypse was coming and you weren't supposed to know when. Okay. That's a little far-fetched, mm -hmm. but it's something that people say. Right. Another thing that they say is that every staircase in on campus is either 13 steps if it's a a single staircase mm -hmm. or it's three sets of sixes. So if you're if you're going from one floor to another, you'll go up three right. staircases. It's it they all kind of wind in like a column style. Right. So you'll go up three sets, six, six, and six. Now, in order to have that count work, you have to count the landing as a step. Correct. And that's not really how I would count a staircase. I wouldn't count the landing as a step, but that's how it has to work for that to happen. But the one thing that really gets people going, and Matt's got it up on the screen right screen right now is that these benches, if you stand in the auditorium building, if you stand there and the, 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 there's a glass window walkway as you're walking over to the campus center, if you stand there and look out the window, you see these three benches that stand as a six, a six, and a six. And what's funny about that is the first day that I was on campus, I was walking from the library 
to the campus center. I had no idea what I was doing. I I think I went once to visit the campus. I was a commuter. I think I went once to visit the campus and just took a quick look around and said, I'll just figure everything out the first day. So I had a free period, so I was kind of wandering around. I was walking from the library to the campus center, and I just saw these benches. And I was like, what are these long, walled benches just doing here at the end of these walkways? It, it doesn't make any sense. It looks weird when you're walking down. And so I went up into the library, uh, and I was looking out the window, and I saw them from there, and I, I didn't really make anything of it. But then a week or two later, I was walking through the campus center, walking through the auditorium to get to the campus center, and somebody just happened to say, hey, look at the 666s out the window. And when I turned around and looked, I said, oh, my God, those benches are three sixes. And then all of a sudden, it, it made sense as to why that was. And if you look at the staircases, you can see one, two, three, four, five, six steps leading to each of those six stair, uh, six benches. So we can kind of... You know, we can kind of debunk a lot of these stories. We can kind of, uh, we can kind of take down some of the, the mythology about Paul Rudolph, about his death, right. about some of the rationale behind why he built what he built. But it's really hard to, to argue with the fact that those benches look like three sixes. And there's really no explanation as to why they have to look that way. There are other instances around campus of those benches right but not in three sixes like that you know where there's like a long wall no, and then an enclosed weird. area a lot of the uh inside the actual academic buildings they have lounge areas where it's the same idea it's like a long wall of benches uh that kind of curls around into an alcove but it's not sixes like that and uh, and everybody keeps saying that, too, uh, when we put the photo up uh, that Eileen just mentioned in the chat room. It could be a 999 if you're looking at it from the other side. But the way that the campus Very is true. set up, you don't look at it from the other side. Right. That's There's a whole space of quad in front of you. You can see it from the library, but it's it's kind of far away. So all the quad is in front of you. The way that it's set up is right in front of the auditorium building. You see those three sixes. Right. So it was made to be viewed from that angle. Yes, it was. And... If it was 999, then that just means that all the phones in New Bedford are just telephones to hell. <laughs> that's right. Right? Because like, that's the New Bedford uh, telephone exchange. Uh, but I certainly think that the legend is not going to go anywhere. I mean, it hasn't in the you know 22 years since I started at UMass Dartmouth. It hasn't in the eight years since I wrote my book that you know maybe a few people have read. And... I did. The story is just always going to be out there. And the story is always going to be better than the truth. I'd love to know if it's still happening now. Well, we actually, so uh, I wrote the story mm -hmm. on, I think, Wednesday. And then Thursday morning, I popped in on the Fun 107 morning show because mm -hmm. they wanted to talk to me about the story. And they had their intern, Monica, who's a UMass Dartmouth student, and she had never heard any of these stories. Oh, really? So, so maybe it's died off. That's, but... People, there's, when you put it up online, there's people like, oh, yeah, no, I heard that story. Like, oh, I'm still hearing that story today. But just Monica had not heard that story. Mm. So, you know, maybe it's not that prevalent. Right. When, I, when I was there, the Torch uh, wrote a story about it. I know the Torch wrote a later story about it because there's one from like 2007 or something online. 
uh, South Coast 24-7, when that was in existence, wrote a story about it. Mm-hmm. So there's been enough attention to those legends over the years right. that it's kind of stuck around. I know in my days of going to UMass Dartmouth, everything was haunted. Anybody you talked to, you know, the dorms were haunted. Certain dorms were super haunted. Other ones, you know, had these crazy stories of, um, you know, just suicides and... and Horrible stories but and things coming from the woods and everything there's else. There's like so. that, though, in, in most college campuses right. around here, especially, you know, when you're dealing with the schools in the Bridgewater Triangle, like mm-hmm. Stonehill College or right. Bridgewater State University. You know, Bridgewater, well, Bridgewater State, State has is very haunted. ridiculous stories coming yes. out of it. And uh, to the point where, you know, I've known, I know kids that have gone there to live there mm-hmm. that have become commuters because they couldn't deal with the stuff that was going on in the dorms. Right. And uh, same, I mean Stonehill too. The same. Look at as we're talking about Boston City Hall. They 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 about the brutalism they put Boston City Hall up on the TV screen behind us. Uh, but there's uh, you know there's people that have gone to Stonehill too that have said I had to transfer out of there because yeah. so much weird stuff was happening. So I'm sure that schools and, and universities and colleges will always kind of have a high level of activity anyway, because. Well, the amount of people coming in and out constantly and, and the, the different energies and everything the else. The energy they're expelling. Exactly. It's, exactly. it's what's leaving its mark. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a tragedy that happens there. Right. You know, there doesn't have to be a... But when a tragedy does happen, I think it amplifies everything. Sure. Right. Um, for example, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak too much about this because it's still so fresh in people's minds. But uh, folks might not be aware of this, but uh, Sarnaya... Uh, Zokar Sanayev mm-hmm. was a UMass Dartmouth student. Correct. And so he was kind of tied into uh, the, the campus community there, and some of the people that were associates of his were also students there. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of talk that there was some sort of dark connection there because of this this story, these legends that are out there that turn out probably not to be true about Rudolph, but some people were kind of tying that into Correct. what happened with the Boston Marathon bombing. So the story will always live on as long as there's somebody that's around to tell it. And right. I think that this story will be one that is told to every incoming freshman class. Maybe maybe not as many people as were to- telling it at one point in time, but uh, they're certainly still telling it today. And I just, you know... I'm glad that I got to tell Monica that so she can go tell everybody now at mm-hmm. the school. And, of course, writing about it on fun107.com will also uh, help spread the story a little bit more. But uh, what's funny is we were talking about Plymouth earlier. And when I was a kid growing up in Plymouth, so I started kindergarten in Randolph, where my family is originally from. And that's where we lived at the time. When I, I'm sorry, in Brockton, I started kindergarten. Um but then I moved to Randolph. I started first grade in Randolph. But then we moved to Plymouth, like with two months to go in first grade. And then from that point in time until the end of fifth grade, I lived in Plymouth that whole time. So my formative years were spent living in that town. When I first moved there, I went to this great elementary school that was probably <laughs> maybe 10 years old, uh, West Elementary School. Everything was brand new and clean and brightly lit, and there was a playground, and like it was just, you know, it was a great school to go to as a as a kid. You felt like every day when you went to school, like you were going to mm-hmm. a happy place. Even though I hated going to school when I first started going to school, uh, but then when I was in the fifth grade, I went to the Nathaniel Morton School, which is down by the waterfront. Like literally, when you were out in the 
in the field and on the playground, you would look across and you would see the the ocean. And uh, it's a it's a beautiful spot, right across from the town hall. I mean, right around some of these uh, very very old houses that have been around for hundreds of years. The school itself <laughs> was probably from the 1930s or 40s. It's the mm-hmm. federal style. It looks exactly like the school in a Christmas story. So. If you picture that school, that looks like the school that I went to. But it was the creepiest place to be inside. Mm-hmm. The cafeteria was in the basement. Yep. So we had to go down into the basement to eat lunch every day. Uh, and that just didn't feel right. I would eat my lunch as fast as I could so I could get back <laughs> upstairs. And I would, you know, I'd mm-hmm. go in the classroom. Uh, if, you know, if we were having indoor recess, I would uh, I would run upstairs so I'd get back into the classroom. If, and if you were having outdoor recess, you had to wait. They wouldn't let you out until they let everybody else out. It <laughs> um, actually got to the point where I joined the, the music program because mm-hmm. you would go to the music room during lunch. So I got to not be in the, there you in, go. In the cafeteria. Uh, and then the school also had... Th- see, this is where I'm not exactly sure if I'm remembering things right or if it's just kind of... Time has changed, but I remember there being an attic, mm-hmm. but not an attic like, you know, you have to pull down something and climb up. <coughs> I seem to remember there being an attic like uh, like in the never-ending story where okay. he just like walks up the stairs and there's this big area. Mm-hmm. And I seem to remember going up there and sneaking up there quite often. But anyway, where I was, you know, in the fifth grade classrooms, we were on the top floor in the very back corner of the, the back wing of the school. And it was just a creepy, creepy place to be. And I used to hate it if it was a dark and rainy day mm-hmm. because it would just be so dreary inside. And then the where the gym was, <laughs> you had to kind of walk across the school. And I'm sure if I went in there now, it would be, be like fine. yeah, it'd be like a five minute walk from the classroom to the gym. Mm-hmm. But everything just seems so much bigger when you're a kid. And it was like having to, you know, walk away from where there was nobody else. Mm-hmm. because you had to go all the way around to the other side of the building and you just felt like you were in isolation where you were. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of creepiness going on in that school. I feel like every school I went to, I can recall hearing things, seeing things, feeling things, experiencing things. But I'm a lot different than everybody else. Right. So like my elementary school, my original elementary school, I went to Catholic school, and I feel like I remember seeing and feeling things there and being, like, really creeped out by certain areas there. But then again, I could chalk that up to, they used to do, like, a haunted house that used to be able to walk through at Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still remember, like, certain areas I just did not like. Um, the church across the street, same thing. I used to feel super uncomfortable in certain parts and felt like things were staring at me or I remember seeing certain things there. Um, And then the elementary school I moved to was exactly like you just described, cafeteria in the basement. That one really creeped me out. I remember um, I was afraid to go to the bathroom there because the bathrooms were across from the cafeteria in the basement, but they were just so creepy. Um... So I wasn't a fan of of that either. Middle school? Middle school was super old, too. So my elementary school, my grandfather actually went to. That's how old it was. And um, my middle school was the same. um, I think, yeah, it was the same because they knocked it down the year after I left. Well, 
I remember when I was in first grade, I went to a school that, I mean, this isn't creepy or anything, mm-hmm. but I went to a school that didn't even have a cafeteria. Yep. But they used to have us go down into the basement to get our, our lunch. So you would you would go down one set of stairs mm-hmm. in the back end of the basement, and you would just basically walk in a line. They'd be like, here's your burger, here's your bag of chips, mm-hmm. get your milk over here, go up this set of stairs and pay for your lunch, and then go back into your mm-hmm. classroom and eat. You know, just, just as a side note. So, like, basements seem to be pretty popular places to feed kids, I guess. Yeah. We also had a dentist's office in the basement of my uh, That's really weird. first grade school. Mm. Because the dentist would come in, like, once a month, and kids wow. could go and get dental care in school. Very weird. I should do that again. Well, this was, uh, I was one of the first uh, groups of kids to, to start getting fluoride. Oh, which, that's what happened to you. Yeah. So people <laughs> people are still debating whether or not the fluoride is, is good for the kids. But I remember having to go and get the pills in my classroom every day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had to chew them up and swish them around in our mouth. Gross. And then, yep, yeah, I remember doing that every day. We had to do our fluoride time at whatever time mm-hmm. we did it. So, hmm. but I, I will, I will say this, because we haven't talked about food yet tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was in first grade, in, in you know, with going through that basement to get, I will never again have juice as good as juice. the juice I used to have then, and I used to get it in kindergarten too. Okay, the juice that came, it was a plastic cup. With a peel back foil lid, mm-hmm. and you could peel it back and drink it, or you could, you know, pop a straw yep. into it. But it was it was like a like a little bucket mm-hmm. shape, and I will never have juice as good as that. I, I mean, I have bought in every fruit punch in the world, and I've I was going to ask you what kind of juice it was. So it, it was, was fruit, fruit punch. punch. Okay, but I've bought in every fruit punch in the world, and I've never really came close to finding the exact same formula mm-hmm. as as that fruit punch was. But I, I still try every fruit punch that I can. I'm picky about fruit punch. I almost wish like I could just I see I can't even like call the school and ask them, right? Because the school doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. It's now a police station. But uh, yeah, just somebody has to know. Somebody out there went to Randolph schools or or Brockton Elementary schools around mm-hmm. the same time that I did, and you want to hear a weird story? Well. I we guess are it's talking weird tonight, right? I guess it's not that weird when you consider the proximity of Brockton to Wareham. It's about thirty-five minutes away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were—I graduated from Wareham High School with two kids who were in my kindergarten class in Brockton when I started school. Really? Yep. How's that for weird? That is weird. And uh, and and one of the kids that became one of my best friends in high school was one of my best friends in kindergarten. But it was like I didn't know that it was him mm-hmm. for a long time. Like at one point, I think I just might have said something like, "I went to the Davis School in Brockton for kindergarten." He's like, "So did I." Who was your teacher? I had this for. Oh, so did I. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's so weird. And then you start sharing mm-hmm. stories, and then the uh, the girl she actually remembered Amy. Mm-hmm. She actually remembered that she was in the class with us. So that's awesome. But yeah, just just a weird coincidence that uh, you know three three kids. And, you know, that we were all, fr- well, I don't know if Derek and Amy were friends, but the fact that I was friends with Derek and friends with Amy, right. you know, still, even though we were all friends back then. I don't I, know if I talked to anybody from elementary school. I, I don't, but, you know, through Facebook, you just stay connected yeah. with people. I don't even know if I'm friends with anybody from elementary school on Facebook. As, as I mentioned earlier, Rebecca, who went to elementary school with me, mm-hmm. is is in the chat room. She listens to the show each week, and mm-hmm. she's she's a big fan of the paranormal. She's involved in paranormal stuff. 
uh, Greg Lanigan, who is involved with uh, one of the Boston Paranormal Groups, mm-hmm. uh, he actually went to elementary school with, I think with both of us, but definitely with me, uh, and he became a paranormal investigator. That's really funny. So I remember uh, his mom was the first person that ever took me to a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I think I went, went to a Chuck E. Cheese once before, mm-hmm. but uh, that was the first Chuck E. Cheese birthday party I went to. It was Greg Lanigan's, I think it was his 10th birthday. Rebecca so. just said that she remembers Greg. Yeah, so he's mm-hmm. he's a paranormal guy too, and That's funny. and uh, and also um, uh, one of the Plymouth paranormal groups, uh, Donnie Reese, who's mm-hmm. involved in that group. He went to fifth grade with me at the Nathaniel Morton School. Wow! So I don't hey. think I know anybody personally from my past that got involved in paranormal. I I mean, I have I, to think about this. Donnie and I have talked a little bit about it uh, in the past, but like we both had a friend that we were very close to when we were in fifth grade who died. Um, he had a heart condition mm-hmm. and, uh, and he passed away while we were in fifth grade. Mm, that's sad. And, um, like we, you know, we both had like remembrance. I still have, uh, his swatch watch that wow. his, his parents gave me to like remember him. And I still have that like somewhere in my mm-hmm. stuff or maybe it's at my mom's house, but, um, you know, it just maybe that was something that kind of put us on, on that path. Who knows? But certainly some uh, some very weird very weird connections that uh, can't walk through with us through our entire life. Five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. I had mentioned earlier that uh, coming up on Thursday and Friday of this week, I'm going to be mm-hmm. filling in uh, for Dave Schrader on Midnight in the Desert. I still have to talk it over with Michelle and figure out uh, what's happening on Thursday night, but on Friday night. My guest is going to be Aaron Kadju, and we're going to be talking about the New Bedford Highway murders. Such a good story. We're going to be talking about getting really into the, the details, the, the minutia of this story. Uh, for those of you who missed our episode a few weeks ago, we were talking about a 30-year-old string of unsolved murders that really today they're no closer to solving than they were in 1988, 89. So... We're going to be talking about that for all three hours coming up on Friday night. You're so. going to make me stay up late, huh? We, it's, you can, we're it's really so good. Get, I don't know if I can miss it. We're going to get really deep into it. And uh, and I think if all goes well, i got to check with Keith to see if we can make it happen. But I think Aaron's going to be coming in here, mm-hmm. and we're going to do it in the studio here and feed this out to Keith so that Aaron and I will actually be in the same room. Right. Um, although if you know if you, it's midnight to three a.m., so if he wants to stay home too and doesn't want to have to get dressed and drive down here <laughs> right. and all that stuff, then uh, certainly he's that's his prerogative. Uh, but uh, we'll definitely have something on tap for Thursday that'll be pretty good too. I'm still getting a lot of feedback from the the two shows that I did mm-hmm. last week. Um, Dave actually reached out and said, you know, I haven't heard a single negative thing. So I appreciate everybody for all their kind words. And uh, and for supporting me and sitting in that chair because it's an honor to sit in that chair and it's mm-hmm. hard you know when you're when you're Dave and you're coming into that show right. and you're trying to make it your own uh, but also still trying to to keep it what people are used to and then to say okay and now this other person's going to come in right and fill in you know I'm I'm sure that he was uh, a little bit worried mm-hmm. I know that he was I know he was listening in <laughs> at some points while, sure. while he was in Michigan. Um, but uh, certainly, uh, I must not have screwed up too bad if they're having me back again. 
So you're awesome, anyway. So I'm sure it went great, and it's well, going to we, continue. To go we that dealt way. with some technical issues, but uh, we, we will... always do. <laughs> I, I kind of explained that too. I was like, "This is this is not Midnight in the Desert's fault. This is it's this you. is the spooky South Coast influence." Yes, I'm like that. Uh, uh, what was the? Can't remember what the movie was or the TV show when I was a kid, but there was there was a it used to be on the Disney Channel where if the kid touched anything electrical, mm-hmm. like it would always short out. Maybe I'm that guy. I don't do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about, Matt? Let's, let's turn to Matt. No, he doesn't know either. It's so people don't always remember the Disney Channel from the '80s, anyway, because not everybody oh, had paid, not everybody paid for it. I think it was. I want to yeah, say it was like a movie. Me. I don't know. Was was that the uh, was that the premise of Zapped with uh, Scott Bayer, or is that something different? It may have been. I'm not sure. But I seem to remember there being something like maybe on the Disney Channel where there was this kid that when he touched electrical stuff, it would like short out. But like he could also like start things with with his power too. So like if like your car died, he would just like stick his finger in the ignition and the car would start, which doesn't really make sense. Because if you wanted the car to start, you, he would touch the battery. Like the ignition is just a, a mechanism to to get the car to start. But I don't know. Whatever. Hmm. Do you remember Turbo Teen? I was gonna say, are you, is that what you're thinking of? <laughs> you thought you were gonna. Uh, you thought I was referencing Turbo Teen, right? Did you, Stephanie? Don't even young. look at me. You, you have no, no idea what Turbo no. Teen is. No, don't look. At I don't me. know. Does anybody in the chat room remember Turbo Teen? Well, they they're all on the internet. They can go run and look it up. But Turbo Teen was a, a cartoon about a kid that uh, what was it when he got wet? I don't know what I don't know what it was. He would turn, maybe maybe it was when he got wet. I think it's when he got wet. He would turn into a sports car, which is a weird. What? That's a weird thing to trigger. That's a, so bizarre. A, a, a mutation, I guess. Yeah, and I don't even remember like how it happened that he became Turbo Teen. I'm I'm looking this up right now. I'm still trying to find the show you're looking for. So this was 1984 to 1985. So uh, it's about a teenager named Brett Matthews who swerves off a road during a thunderstorm and crashes into a secret government lab. <laughs> Those damn secret government labs—they're always right everywhere. off the highway. It's yeah, just... always. Uh, so there, he and his red sports car are accidentally exposed to a mon- molecular beam invented by a scientist named Dr. Chase for a government agent named Cardwell. As a result, Brett and his car become fused together. Brett gains the ability to morph into the car when exposed to extreme heat. So that weird. was it. And revert into his human form when exposed to extreme cold. And with his new superhero power, Brett and his girlfriend, Patty, and his best friend, Alex, and Brett's dog, Rusty, go on crime-fighting adventures together and solve other mysteries. Because naturally, when you... Uh, turn into uh, when you turn into a car. The first thing that you must do is decide. Well, I'm going to use this to fight crime. But I I, I wish Balzano was on the show tonight because he would absolutely 100% remember Turbo Teen. And remember what would happen, Matt? Like so he so it was when he was exposed to extreme heat, he turned into the car, and then extreme cold would make him go back into a human. So if he was exposed to heat, do you remember what he would say? Uh, no. I he would say something like, uh-oh, looks like I'm going to turn into Turbo Teed. <laughs> anyway. This I, is, I got the uh, intro up. People are can really, we run, really can, interested. Can we run that or are we going to get back? Not, not the audio, but I, I just have the... Uh, oh, okay. Because I, w- I would like to just... Uh, who owns the rights to that? Ruby Spears. Ruby Spears still owns the rights to that. They still, uh, they still have... Um, 
deals with like uh, Cartoon Network and all those places. So, yep, there he goes, turning yeah. into Turbo Teen. So he's a stop it. That's so weird. It's a wear car. Make it stop. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a wear Ferrari. It's kind of like a Ferrari Trans Am Corvette kind of hybrid. Although that's in that shot, he kind of looks pretty much like a Camaro or a Trans Am. I'm still trying to find this electrical kid. So maybe so, that was the name of it. Maybe it was Electric Kid. So did he have to have somebody drive, or he just? No, no, he could drive himself. Because I saw there was somebody behind the wheel. At yeah, one point, and that's, and it that's was, one of those things that becomes weird, right? A little bit. Like a if little you, bit. If you're, you're a you're, self-driving car. Like, how did we get here? Like what if? What if he uh, does? How does he change back? Does he dry out? Because you said he got wet. Uh, he... Extreme cold. Oh, will right. Make him okay. change back. So then, like, what if there's somebody inside? Well, right. Yeah. Like, what happens then? And then the other problem is, like, is it a is it a violation of his personal space? Probably if not. Somebody is in sitting in the driver's seat, like like Benny the Cab, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Right. Oh my God! Robot Chicken made fun of Turbo Teen. No. Of stop course it. they did. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Can I, do it. Can no. I, can no, I run? Can no, I run Turbo Teen no. audio though? I think so. I don't think we'll get back. I just want to see if I can ha- hear him say, "Looks like I'm turning into Turbo Teen." Into a government laboratory where a top secret experiment was underway. I swerved into the path of Doctor Chase's molecular. Tra- oh! Oh! Somebody just spilled. Somebody just spilled on him. Uh, now he's changing back. This is so weird. Oh, they're showing him changing, but they're not playing the actual audio of him saying. See, Stephanie, you didn't grow up in the height of Saturday morning cartoons. Kind of, sort of, but like on the the other end. What is that? I think they laid really their own music, over music. Oh, right. This is bad. It's the Euro Trash version. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's the same thing as the... Uh, I had the He-Man. Early nineties Saturday morning cartoons. So Disney afternoon. No, I had Saturday morning yeah. cartoons. No, Saturday morning cartoons were dead by the time you were a kid. They were no, pretty they dead. They were. Think so? That's what, that was when they were already by that point they were like running Nicktoons on, on like CBS. And um, maybe. You know, NBC had gone to like all like mm. like California Dreams and all those shows. Mm, I don't know. What, what do you think officially killed it? Just cable TV? Uh, I actually, I actually blame Saved by the Bell because <laughs> Saved by the Bell pushed pushed a lot more like live action stuff. Yeah. there was some live action stuff in the eighties, like with Pryor's I, Place. I know uh, there were there were some associations that wanted more educational TV, and they were pushing for it for a long time. And eventually, in the nineties, like I the watched t- a lot of PBS TV, TV channels TV had too. to had to do it. So the the PBS cartoons were the worst when we were kids. Really? Like you never watched PBS. I watched some of them. By the time you came around, I would they rather had, like, watch the Sunday morning cartoons. Really? Oh my god, <laughs> Sunday morning cartoons were the worst. Like you might get a couple that were decent, like uh, like I, I didn't really mind Denver the Last Dinosaur or Fantastic Max. Um, Don Coyote was pretty good. But then, I like, remember watching Don like Captain Planet was a Sunday morning cartoon. Like, there's a distinct, I watched Captain Planet. There's a, a distinct lot. line between Saturday morning cartoons and Sunday morning cartoons. Okay, that changed a little bit when Nicktoons came out. That they would run their stuff on Sundays. So like Ren and Stimpy and Doug and all those shows, Rugrats. Yeah, I watched that stuff in the afternoon, like on 
on the actual channel. I think when Cartoon Network came out, a lot of Saturday morning stuff died. I, I, I really do think it was like that that push toward more like reality teen stuff, like real life teen stuff on Saturdays. Uh-huh. That, and the, the other biggest problem was that they were losing the product tie-ins. The product right. tie-ins were what kept those those shows going. So it wasn't, it, they didn't create a Super Mario Brothers cartoon because they thought it would make a great cartoon. Mm-hmm. They did it so that kids would go out and buy more Nintendos. Right. And we knew we were watching like half hour commercials, but we didn't care because they were still pretty decent. They mm-hmm. were still decent entertainment. But yeah, there was definitely a difference. I mean, you got like, you know, you, originally Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a Sunday morning cartoon, mm-hmm. at least in this area. Um, uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe, those were a Sunday morning yeah. cartoon. Those were decent. Yeah. But then, like, toward the end of the 80s and the early 90s, the Sunday stuff just was ridiculous. Sunday was when you would watch Defenders of the Earth, just because it was the only right. one that was on. What was that, uh, the nope. baby, the doity diapers? That was Fantastic Max. All right, all right, all right. Um, he, had a, he had a rocket ship in his sandbox or something. Yeah, like yeah, it was ridiculous. It was terrible. I don't know why I said <laughs> it was one of the decent ones. Terrible. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you know what else was on was... um. Super Ted. Uh, Super Ted, right. They had a lot of, like, um, um, religious stuff on Sundays. When I was a kid, really the only thing that you could watch, like, really young, mm-hmm. the only thing that you would watch on Sundays that was, like, even remotely kids programming was Davy and Goliath. Really? Yep. Davy and Goliath would be on at, like, 5 or 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so you could watch that. But, and then uh, Saturday mornings you would wake up early because you would watch um, Drawing... With Captain Bob Coddle. And then, <laughs> then you would watch, uh, I know Ross was on hold and he hung up because we, we didn't go to him. We just kept yammering on. Sorry, Ross. Uh, yeah, you can call back, Ross. Uh, and then, uh, you would watch, uh, Jabberwocky was usually on. Remember Dirty Frank? I don't remember, uh, <laughs> Uh, Dirty Frank. No. Is this a, uh, is this a show we're still talking about? Or? Yeah, your cousin remembers Dirty Frank. Nick? Because Nick used to call people Dirty Frank because of the character Dirty Frank. Oh, right. There was a show called Jabberwocky with Dirty Frank. And then... Um, oh, I do remember that show, yeah. Yeah, see, there's there was some really weird stuff, like, early, early, early in the morning. And then if you could just get to, like, 7 a.m., that's when, like, the normal stuff would start to come on. I slept probably through all of that. Oh, no. Like, I, oh, you did not sleep on Saturday mornings. You got up as early as you could. Nope. Right. I never got up uh, on time for school. Ever, but Saturday mornings, <laughs> right. I was as soon as uh as soon as they started, I was there. Bowl of cereal, blanket. No, <laughs> I liked there. my I sleep. Was there, that's that's uh that's that's you had to. If you first of all, I I grew up in a house with four other kids, right? So if I didn't wake up first, I wasn't getting to watch what I wanted to watch. Mm. And there was nothing better than so you would get as as a comic book fan, you would get a comic book in like August. Like the August Spider-Man or whatever, and you would open it up, and they would have a two-page spread that would be like the NBC cartoon lineup for the upcoming fall. Mm-hmm. And do you remember the the Saturday morning cartoon preview shows? Yeah, those was that amazing. you you waited to watch those. It was an event. It really was. yeah, it was. I, it was Friday night. I remember it from uh, the TV guide. The TV guide always had that um, fall preview cartoon section. Mm-hmm. So you would, you would, whatever network you, cause like everybody was kind of a network person. Like mm-hmm. you watched one or the other. You really didn't flip around. Um, so like I was like an NBC guy for Saturday morning cartoons for the most part. I would, I would flip over and watch some other stuff, 
But uh, especially like if I was at my grandparents' house, I don't know why, but we would watch. Oh, because I would go to sleep. I used to sleep there Friday nights. Mm-hmm. None of this has anything to do with the paranormal, and I don't nope. know why we're talking about it. But it's all your fault. Um, I would sleep over there Friday nights. Well, that's where I would experience the old hag stuff oh. that I experienced when I was younger. Hmm. Um, so I would stop sleeping upstairs and I would sleep downstairs, even though I was alone downstairs. I still preferred it to seeing these hands that would appear on the wall. But anyway. So Why don't we tell that story? Well, that is pretty much the whole story. But on Friday nights, we would, <laughs> we would watch uh, Dukes of Hazard. Yep. And then Dallas. And then my grandmother would watch Falcon Crest, and I'd either go upstairs to go to sleep, or I would fall asleep on the floor, and then she'd wake me up and have me mm-hmm. go upstairs. Uh, and then, so when you came down Saturday morning, the TV would still be on CBS. Mm-hmm. So I would watch, like, Get Along Gang and... Um, Dungeons and Dragons, and there was uh, a pole position cartoon, you know, all that stuff, Pryor's Place. But uh, if I was at home at my house, I was an NBC guy. So, you know, that meant, like, Captain N, the Game Master, and, what, Kissy Fur, and some of those other shows. All right, let's see what Ross wants to talk about. (laughs) Hello, Ross, how are you? I'm good, you guys? Well, we're doing well. Jeez. Captain and the Game Master. That, I can, that brings me back. I can barely hear you, Ross. Can you speak up a little? Captain and the Game Master? Jeepers. I, I think it only lasted like a season or two. I know. I thought I was the only one who remembered that. No, no. I, I remember because I used to take my Nintendo controller and I would wrap the cord through the belt loops of my pants and make myself the controller on the belt like he had. Yeah. And then I would take the uh, the cord to the light gun and I would stick it in my pocket and then I would put that in the in that loop so I would have the gun. So I had the controller okay. on my belt and I had the gun so I would run around the house as Captain N. Nice. This then is he, not remember surprising. He, remember he could like pause? Yep. Then he got the power glove and, and I didn't have the power glove so I, I couldn't be Captain N anymore. And this was just yesterday, right? Um, I was, when that show came out, I was at least 12, <laughs> so, 13, 14 at that point. So why you still do that. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think I was that old. I, I remember, I remember too, my Saturday morning shows, I remember based on where I lived at the time, so. And you asked a question in the chat room, uh, Ross, if the Electric Teen ever restarted Small Wonder. Yes. And I, I don't think so. I uh, I know that she always had these short circuit issues. I recently watched Small Wonder for the first time in a long time, and uh, I forgot how really, really terrible the acting was. You know, I remember that one being on like WLVI or one of those, um, you know, like the syndicated stations on Saturday mornings. I want to say Small Wonder was on 38. Yes, yes, that's right, because I remember, just like you, on Saturday mornings it would come on, but the night before we usually watch in the movie loft. Right. And then uh, uh, 25 had Out of This World. Which was a good syndicated show. Yep. Um, fifty six had a few. They see Saturday afternoons. You would always put it on channel fifty six. Yeah, for Creature Feature Double Feature. But then even after Creature Double Feature was on, then they had their own slate of like syndicated shows. Like that's when DC Follies would come on. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, they had they had a show for a while about a record company called Throb. 
that, I watched that. I don't know why I did. But sometimes you could also switch it over uh, to 38 on Saturday afternoons because for a while they ran uh, Friday the 13th, the series, series. Yep. on Saturday afternoons. Yep. Which I don't remember. It didn't feel the same as watching it on Friday nights, but yeah. Friday nights you also had to watch uh, Freddy's Nightmares on 25. So. I always thought that was on HBO for some reason. I nope, nope. It being on HBO. Nope. Freddy's Nightmares no. was on. Uh, was on. It was a syndicated show, and it ran on Fox Twenty Five. Well, it was just Channel Twenty Five locally then, and then I think also uh, uh, Sixty Four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The Rehoboth Channel. Yeah, you guys around here watch Sixty Four. I had Sixty Eight when I was growing up, like in Plymouth area. Sixty Eight was really good. Sixty Eight had like uh, it was like. It was like the bottom tier of syndicated programming. Yes. 68 is where you would watch like uh, F Troop uh-huh. and The Littlest Hobo, mm-hmm. which is a show that only Balzano and I remember. Nobody nobody else, nobody here is going to... Matt, do you remember The Littlest Hobo? No, I don't. So it was a Canadian show where it was about a dog. It was an anthology show about a dog that used to like go from town to town helping people out. No, interesting. And it had it had like the most uh, the most sentimental theme song. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know if. Uh, and, and the dog's name was London, by the way. That was the name of the uh, the dog. Interesting. I always remember writing. Uh, here you go. Here. Hold on, Ross. Uh, here you go. Hold yeah. on. There's a voice that keeps on calling me. I think I still remember all the words of this song. The Littlest Hobo. <laughs> I, I can't remember which channel it was, but I always thought it was interesting because... Um, I remember it was like late at night at like ten. They would always have Highway to Heaven on. Oh yeah. And then after it, they would run Monsters. There was a, a show called Monsters in the late eighties, early nineties. Oh, I remember that. And Tales, Tales from the Dark Side. I remember Tales from the Dark Side. Wasn't there another one too that was like something like had like a was Tales from the Dark Side that had the carousel opening, right? Yes. What was the show? Then, uh, there was a show that had a monkey opening too. I do remember uh, there was one called The Hitchhiker. Yes, that was another uh, creepy yeah. anthology show, yep. Um, one of the reasons I called in, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but um, the um, I remember last week when you guys were talking about Paradolia, there was a, um, <clears throat> there was a new episode. I remember um, The Twilight Zone ran like a newer version in the 80s, mm-hmm. and they had this episode that freaked me out when I was younger and it was like this woman was seeing in the cracks of walls like people's like faces sticking out oh wow and like the conversation from last week just reminded me of that and that was like you know total when I was younger think going to bed after seeing that being like looking at the cracks in the ceiling and just waiting for a face to poke out yeah, that's, that, that sounds like a pretty creepy one. I'll have to look that up and see if I can find it. I know some of the reiterations of the Twilight Zone are, are out there. They brought it back a whole bunch of times. Same thing with The yeah, Outer Limits. Yeah. 
Like they brought it yeah. back multiple times, but yeah, usually find them out there somewhere. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, Ross. Yeah, no problem. You guys have a good night. You as well. And uh, I will say that uh, we are just about out of time for the show. We've, we've gone a, a little bit over, uh, but, uh, you know, it's kind of fun reminiscing about some of these these old shows. Um, I did see you as I was flipping through something or other, maybe it was Hulu or something, I saw that there's a new Watcher in the Woods coming out. Do you remember that movie, Matt, Watcher in the Woods? No, I don't. That was like the only Disney movie that ever scared me as a kid. Hmm. If you if if you ever mention Watcher in the Woods to anybody that remembers it, they'll just say one word, Nurak. So that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Nurak. Some people might remember that. All right. Well, that does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week with another episode of the program. You can always reach out to us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at SpookySC. You can find us on Instagram at Spooky underscore South Coast. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. You can go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and sign up for alerts and updates there as well. We also have some events coming up in the fall that you can check out there as well. We have uh, the Edaville event coming up. We have the Reverend Parson Barnard House. We have the... Uh, Bull Mansion and Worcester, all those events coming up in the fall. You can get more details on those at SpookySouthCoast.com. Follow me at Tim Weisberg so you can find out when the new guest, when I know who the guest will be for Thursday night on the night in the desert because <laughs> I don't know right now. And uh, and also, of course, you can subscribe to that via the Dark Matter Digital Network. Just go to MidnightInTheDesert.com for that. And, uh, and of course, you can catch the Spooky South Coast replays every week on the Dark Matter Digital Network. But if you don't want to wait for that, you can find all of our archives on iTunes or wherever podcasts are found, as well as all of our video archives on YouTube. So until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular and don't go turning into Turbo Teen.